0: Oh, and welcome back to cooking the books with me Julie smith for this special series celebrating the andre simon awards 2021 each week we meet the authors shortlisted for the prestigious food book gong with an introduction by food assessor the nigerian born author emosi arabisada whose memoir long throat soups sex and nigerian taste buds won the andre simon's john avery award in 2016 this week we meet Mark Diacono, gardener, cook and author. And no stranger to the André Simons, his stunning book, A Year at Otter Farm, won the 2014 Food Book of the Year Award for its lyrical storytelling of how his garden grew. But before we meet him, Yemisi tells us why his latest book, Herb, made it to this year's shortlist.
1: Well, Magdiakono, in my opinion, has one of the most powerful voices in food writing. He he could probably write about a slug sandwich with wasabi, and I would agree to read and eat it. He's, He's witty, he's brilliant, he's conversational, and he knows what he's talking about. And Herb, a, a cook's companion, swam to the top of the pile of books with ease because, because it is very well executed. It is cannily photographed. The Herb's are categorised in a way that keeps your mind engaged and amazed. There is a very uh, compelling sleight of hand with this man where he's actually selling you a textbook. And you buy it and, and fall under its spell because, the, because of the author's virtuoso voice you are convinced you are capable of growing anything and you want to go out and do it immediately <laughs> even more of an accomplishment is that swift ability uh, you earn through reading the book to think of herbs outside this almost terrifying medicinal mindset you know you're rescued from the overcautious relationship to these wonderful wonderful gifts of nature and are efficiently educated your mind is powerfully changed this book is so so good you know and there are lovely recipes at the end but my favourite parts are the discourse on herbs at the beginning I'm a little upset with him about what he says about lemon balm, which we drink as tea <laughs> and have maximum respect for, but Diakono is a dazzling storyteller
0: Witty, charming, compelling, a dazzling storyteller. She is so bright. But before we start talking about Herb, as someone who found myself through a strange set of circumstances with a lot of land, I had to ask Mark to take me back to Otter Farm and tell me how it happened to him.
2: Yeah, it was very lucky. We, um, my wife and I were... We, we failed uh, when we were trying to get another place with a, with a couple of acres, um, we were outbid and no chance and all of that. And then the agent said, Oh, there's something really peculiar coming on, which obviously makes you kind of go, Oh yeah, peculiar. That doesn't sound great, but still, um, so on the way back from being married, we called in to see this place, which was a kind of end of terrace, former cider barn from about 400 years ago, that the person who was selling just happened to have bought the 17 acres out the back of. And, um, we went and had a look, and I kind of ran out the back uh, to have a look at the land. My wife went in the house, and then we met uh, at the, in, in where the two joined, and uh, we went, oh, yeah, you know, we, let's go for it. Because there was a lovely river running through, you know, all of the things, ridiculous okay. things. Yeah, we saw a king, you know, all the things <laughs> that, if you're even vaguely romantic, you go, we were supposed to live here.
0: That was a kingfisher rather than a king.
2: It was a kingfisher. <laughs> it was a kingfisher, yeah. and, uh, uh, and But I didn't... but. I should emphasise at this point, I didn't have any uh, more definite plan than I wanted to grow stuff, and that was very um, open-ended. My wife said to me, what are we going to do with all this land and why have we got this ridiculous mortgage? Um, And all I could kind of say to her, because I'd eaten them about three weeks before, was mulberries um mulberries uh, and then I kind of went off and read um Jane Gregson's fruit book as I like to do at the time and, and and in turning to mulberries I turned to meddlers uh and I'm like oh hang on this is a this is this is it I should be making a list of all the things I want to eat and then find out which ones of them will grow here plant some of them and see which works and um that's kind of what I did and um we added a few animals and we did a few other things and and off it went. And it really, that wasn't my job or anything then. And it was just like, this is what I fancy doing because I'm, uh, you know, I'm just greedy and inquisitive.
0: Greedy and inquisitive. Great uh, uh, skills. Let's call them skills for, for writers. But I think I'm being a little bit disingenuous, <laughs> aren't you, Mark? Because your wife actually did marry you because of your garden.
2: She did. That, that, that's exactly. I was living on um, the Kent coast um, way back around the turn of the millennium and um I she was in London I just kind of shifted out from London and um yeah she found me very attractive because I had a garden and she didn't and um and, and, yeah and at that point she moved in very quickly uh, again um due to my lovely gifts of having a garden and she um she started planting things and I thought I've got to do something I've got to find something to do outside you know otherwise um I'm never going to see her and Uh, what do blokes do outside they plant spuds so i planted some potatoes they the first lot of them were incredible you know lovely nutty sweet small delicious new potatoes and then the next lot were kind of like ah you know these are just big old spuds that you'd get from anywhere and that was a kind of quite a lesson that all varieties aren't the same that you have to be discerning in what you grow that it takes no more effort to grow the most delicious broad bean than it does the most plain and 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 a lot of what you do before you do anything actually just thinking 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 and researching is actually where a lot of the reward comes and um yeah and 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 I I just got the bug it was really peculiar I had I I was the last person who was going to get interested in growing stuff and, yeah. and sure enough, I got attached and that was that.
0: But it was because you were doing it successfully, isn't it? I mean, I would love to get the bug. Every year I start, I think, right, this is the year when I am going, we've been here 12 years and I've been saying every year, this is the year where I am going to grow herbs brilliantly and the rest. I mean, I you know, I can do chard pretty well. But Chard's know, good. I, you know, chart. And and my chart is still pretty plentiful. But you know, the lovely thing about your book is that it is very, very practical. Um, linking that with Otter Farm, so this beautiful. And, and you've moved on from Otter Farm now. How could you possibly, I mm-hmm. believe it? How could you
2: do that? <laughs> uh, life changes. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, nice. I, okay. I like I like that thing. And 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 um, you know, there are other other adventures to have.
0: Yes, of course, always. But at mm. Otter Farm, you were growing everything that you wanted to eat. And you mentioned the meddlers, but you also grew kiwis and chocolate vines. All sorts. Quince, almonds, yeah, yeah. Sichuan Pecans. peppers. I mean, how and why did you do that? Was it literally because that's what you wanted to eat and therefore that's was. what you would grow?
2: Yeah, there's a lot to be said for not knowing what you're doing. So if you come to something new, then you don't tend to ask the same questions Um, or follow the same sensibility, especially if you do it kind of later on in your life. And um, I made a food list. I made a list of things I um, fancied eating. And what I did then was just look them up. Will pineapples grow in this country? Well, kind of, if you want to spend all your time trying to grow them, but not really. What about this? What about that? And actually what I found was that there were a lot of things that wouldn't grow. Okay, so I scratched them off. Anything that I knew somebody could grow really well around me, I pretty much scratched off because I thought, well you know, I may as well let them do it and I will buy from them. Um, And then it fell into a list of things that were either really unusual for this country, like Nepalese pepper or Japanese pepper, um, things that were possible maybe due to the degrees of climate change we were going to get, like, I don't know, almonds and pecans and and apricots. Uh, And then the kind of forgotten stuff like quinces and medlars and mulberries. And they were all delicious. And that was the main thing. If it was delicious, fantastic. If it, if, um, if it felt like it might be, but nobody had ever really eaten it here, I'd give it a go. If there was any hope, I would give it a try. Um, and then I grew the best of the familiar. So I did grow asparagus and I grew lots of great tomatoes. And if I was going to grow peas, I grew the best flavoured peas I could find and all of that. And it really was driven by being hungry and inquisitive and, and, and greedy and all of that stuff. And I think that's quite nice to come at it your own way.
0: Yeah, but also sustainability. Climate change is a huge kind of driver for you, and that's a really important message. And I love that that comes through very, very strongly. That we don't have to be abstemious if we're trying to do our best for the planet. Uh, Mm. We can eat absolutely locally and seasonally and deliciously because there are lots of ways to do it. And that's what you do in the book. Let's go to your first food moment, which is very practical. It's exactly about that, isn't it? Uh, How to grow herbs i mean let's talk about the layout Mm. of the book within that first food moments what were you trying to achieve
2: i wanted to there are there are so many people who want to grow a little bit of what they eat and it it, the kind of receive wisdom is that you go for the kind of staple stuff you know as if we're still kind of searching for um Uh, self-sufficiency and I think that's a kind of really strange or or, or if you detach from that being the prevailing wisdom it's a really strange way of coming at it it's like let's grow the most widely available most disease prone uh, cheapest food we can find when in fact what we should be concentrating on is what's the big flavors what clothes will dress up all of the other foods and they're herbs you know they are the transformers they're the things that turn all of the uh, more familiar ingredients in lots of different ways you know if you take a few potatoes and you throw mint at them or thyme or bay or coriander they go in completely different directions and that is something i think is is that's the way to go um you know if you if we only grow a handful of herbs by the back door that can change every meal you eat so whether you live in a high rise or whether you have acres the the process is still the same grow flavor rather than volume and change everything you eat enliven everything increase the pleasure of your life and the joy in your food by growing herbs and as a rule the perennial herbs you know the ones that last for more than a year are easy as hell to grow and it that's all I want that was the main thing I wanted to do with this book was to um was to convince the reader that if they even had the slightest inclination they could change every meal they eat without a great outlay, without a great investment of time or energy or money or anything else. And it would be a really easy reward for lots of pleasure.
0: Yeah. And actually, that is true, because I have been able to grow oregano and uh, thyme and fennel and coriander uh, inside. Mm. Um, But I've had to put them really close to me because one of the things that I found out, it was kind of a bit of a bore to go outside, especially when it was raining. To bring in some herbs for dinner when I could just actually just do, do something else. So now they're on my balcony. So I, there's really no reason why I can't just run upstairs and clip off a little bit of fennel. And it's, <laughs> and, it, and it's very lovely. What I really like about your book, and I have to say, I'm going to make a Mark Diacono garden. I'm going to follow all of these. I've got my coriander and my dill and my fennel. It goes through how to grow it, harvesting, mm-hmm. when and how to use it. Now, there's no way that I can fail, I feel, as I'm as I'm looking through this book you make it feel very very simple indeed and very delicious uh, you write very synesthetically are you synesthetic uh i don't can know can you sing a Is rainbow
2: possibly,
0: possibly i think you probably I
2: are, Mark. yeah maybe yeah i maybe it's yeah maybe i'd be the last person to know i don't know but that's a very I, that's a very nice thing you could
0: when 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 somebody can smell the words on the page well that's
2: lovely cuz i it, i do feel you know very much that this is absolutely the easy end of growing things. And the pleasure is right there to be had. And um, uh, if I've managed to persuade anyone, that's that's great.
0: Well, that's what I meant by the, the sort of the journey through Otter Farm through to this book. Uh, it, it all felt fantastically exotic, actually, from, from Otter Farm. But this is really the workaday stuff. This is how to do it. And again, you are very sustainable. We talk about seed sharing. Uh, you talk about planting in all sorts of stuff rather than just going down to the garden centre and picking out something in another plastic pot. Mm. Tell us a little bit mm. about sharing with friends, um, you know, using their seeds and and uh, propagating from from, from their uh, herbs. How does that happen for, for a real beginner?
2: Yeah, it's really, I mean, in really sort of... Simple terms, there are two kinds of herbs. There's the the annual ones, you know, the ones that um, even if they're not botanically so, we treat them as um, annuals by growing, sowing, harvesting, using all in the same year. Then we start again the next year. And then there are the perennial herbs, which are the ones that we um, that we grow and they grow for years, uh, you know, and any number of years on end. And those, the second ones, the perennial ones, are really, really simple. You know, you can buy a young plant, you just keep slightly moving it up a pot size, taking a little bit without hammering it to the ground. But what is really nice with with, with the seeds of the annual ones is that you can share them, you know, because generally speaking, you only might want three or four or ten plants of, I don't know, dill. Um, so you can pass on the others to somebody else to try, and away you go with there. Um, the, the process of, of um, propagating uh, Perennial herbs is really simple as well. Taking cuttings at different times a year for different herbs, Um, but again, the process is very simple. Snipping bits off, just dealing with them in the right way before you put them into compost, and you get these free plants. And these are these are things that you know. um, It's a very simple process. Doesn't cost a lot of money. But engaging with that is really lovely. It seems impossible that you can cut a bit off a plant uh, and just deal with it in about thirty seconds. Pop it into some compost. And a few short weeks later, you've got the start of another plant coming. It's just it's a magic. crazy business. It's magic. And it's magical. And it, 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 to just even slightly get engaged with that whole process is something I find really kind of rewarding beyond the, the flavour of it. And yeah. it's, it is very, very simple. Very yes.
0: simple. It, it is. It's bountiful, isn't it? And, and, and we know oh. this. And I think one of the issues is having the great sort of energy behind the gardening and then it kind of it's you might go away for a weekend and then it didn't work and it's all a bit mm. difficult you know mm. one of the things that I love about the book is that it is full of really lovely recipes and so I feel like I can choose the recipe first which is what I've I've done for tonight I'm just doing the sea bream with the salsa verde actually I've got a load of of, oh, nice. uh, of herbs which I'm just going to whack into a lovely salsa verde um, nice. and you've done this with fig leaf yeah now yeah. you 're telling me about yeah. a, a, a trifle memory in your second food moment, but fig leaves i 'm not sure i 'm going to i do have a a fig tree in the garden, but the deer they love it and they be oh, the, the deer all
2: they love it yeah
0: they do. And, and they do eat most of the stuff that I try to grow. I have to say that's my biggest problem is the deer. I love the deer more than the herbs, but anyway, we each have our yeah. problems. Tell yeah, us yeah. about the trifle in your second food moment.
2: I've al- I've always been very attached to trifle. When I was a kid, it was one of those um, it was one of those treats where you um, where if there was a trifle on offer, I would be as good a child as you've ever met. You know, I, there was no messing around to be done. I would be good. I would do what I was told when I was told because it just seemed like they were. Like four or five different puddings, all in the same one, you know it was cream, there might be jelly there might be um, there might be a sponge, there would be this custard there'd be this incredible topping, you know really exciting and delightful things and I, I, and that joy in the trifle has maintained, and like I said, my oldest friend he's he um, he says little of any uh, of any importance, but he did ring me once and said, You know what I think the best way to eat a trifle is dressed only in your pants." With the big spoon illuminated by the light of the fridge, and that—that that is it—to be to have snuck down uh, in the night when no one's around with the big spoon that you've kept in it to be quietly kind of you know squeezing in a few uh, uh, forbidden mouthfuls. But uh, it's interesting that the, the trifle in the book because I like to always have at least one trifle in every book, and this one is really lovely in that figs are quite high in it, and um, they, they're used at kind of every tier. And one of the... it's funny how sometimes. What you think you 're growing actually turns into something else when you 're growing it, so for me if i 'm growing sprouts, the cabbage at the top of the tree of sprouts is actually the sweetest, loveliest, nuttiest thing, and I would grow it just for that, even if the sprouts didn 't work and With figs, the leaves to, are as important to me now as the fruit that what I do what I tend to do is dry them, you put them in a very low oven, and they all the veins in them turn this gorgeous copper, but the scent suddenly their kind of house is filled with this um, again smells from my childhood so it's a kind of combination of 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 popcorn and shredded wheat and um candy floss and a bit of kind of malted milk all of that kind of stuff and it's just wonderfully malty and kind of savory but with sweetness And that is, you know, infuse that in milk. It's sort of a custard. Or you make a syrup of it um, with, you know, sugar and water. When it's warm and the sugar's dissolved, you throw in some leaves and that flavour soaks in there. Or you can pound it up like crazy, Um, you know, the dried leaves into a dust and sprinkle it on. And it's just the most amazing flavour that you can't quite get anywhere else because it is sort of all of those, but it's actually in the middle of that Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, fig leaves, one of the... Great underappreciated herbs, I would say, and hence they make it into the book where others don't.
0: Yes, and we'll talk about the ones that don't uh, later. The uh, the, the fig tree can actually be huge, can't it? And it is about how much ground you give it. Um, But you can put it in a pot on your balcony or have it in in quite a small container, can't you? It's not going to bear fruit, though, is it, if you keep it quite small?
2: It, it's it's interesting the kind of medium size is good with figs they like the roots contained so if you just let the roots go what you'll tend to get is a lot of growth and no fruit but you can get all sorts of things you know so you either keep them in um, a, a container that will constrain the roots or you can get these root bags so that you you plant the thing into a bag that will keep the roots nice and tight even if you do grow it in the ground but you definitely I mean even if you're unlucky enough not to get fruit or you're the only place you've got for a fruit for a fig tree is north facing and it's not getting enough sun or you're too far up country so that you can't necessarily ripen them every year still being able to use the leaves is this kind of lovely joy of a thing you know Mm. um
0: so actually the the deer are doing me a favor by eating the tree and forcing me Mm. to think smaller so that i can get some fruit
2: exactly you either way you'll get the leaves and it's it's such a gorgeous gorgeous plant you know it's such a beautiful thing to look at
0: yeah your next two food moments uh, take us travelling. Now, I've given up flying, but I certainly haven't given up travelling uh, in the hope of somehow, with my small gestures, trying to save the planet. You take us right back to uh, the former Yugoslavia. You're ending mm. up in Turkey on this, mm. in the way that people used to travel, on the magic bus and trains and wonderful things like that. Take us to your rose-scented geranium baklava that you found oh. in Turkey
2: that was that was something else you know i i was um it was really i think it was maybe only the second time I'd gone abroad you know, I was kind of twenty ish and um so everything was magical and everything was frightening and um I went with a couple of friends we we had one we had two plans one was to go to Paris and the second was to go great picking and we knew we had to head down to Lyon youth hostel and wait there for a random time when a whole army of um, vineyard owners would come in tractors with trailers on the back, and they'd come without warning. You had to be there. You'd stop playing table tennis and drinking an orangina, hop in the back, off you'd go, work for a couple of weeks, great picking, and then you'd have money.
0: I did it with corn.
2: Ah, you see? They, they, I, I think I maybe got the best part of the deal there, maybe. Um, yeah, but yeah, but um, <laughs> You did. Nevertheless, you know, off we went. And, and it was one of those weird times where... Um, we just went, oh, well, where are we? We're in Trieste. Um, where, where, where's the next train going? Oh, it's going to, I don't know, Ljubljana, or it's going to Split, or it's going to somewhere. And I think we kind of thought, maybe we'll go all the way down to the bottom of Italy and go out from there to Greece. and But we just decided, why don't we just, why don't we go to Yugoslavia? No, we didn't know a thing about Yugoslavia. So off we went, went down through Yugoslavia, got down to the bottom of Greece, got to the ferry port. Where's We've just missed this ferry to, to Israel, Where's the next one going? Turkey. Let's go to Turkey, and that'll do. And yeah, totally. And <laughs> Turkey it. blew me away. Turkey was like, wow, this is because like Italy, in a way, it, it's more understandable if you haven't spent a lot of time outside England or UK. You know, it's kind of, you know, we're dealing with a lot of um, wonderful flavors, but they're kind of familiar. However, well done they are. Go to Turkey, and it was like, whoa, what's going on here? This market, these flavors, the visual side of. Istanbul was just like I can't quite take this in and I remember really clearly because um, I, I was sitting in this cafe and with another piece of this incredible baklava you know kind of t- layers and layers of this gorgeous kind of filo with nuts and syrup and everything it was just incredible unlike anything I'd ever eaten and it was really weird because I'd gone down this back road to get back to this place we were staying and all I could hear was um, shouting and footsteps shouting and footsteps shouting and footsteps What's what the heck's that? I turned around and these three men were just running down the road. And I'm looking around going, they're after someone. And I couldn't see anyone else. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Do I stand around and wait to find out why they're running down this road that nobody else is on apart from me? Um, so uh, there I am. I thought, well, I'd better take off. Uh, which isn't like your best defence, is it, if you actually get caught. But I was kind of fairly nippy then. And I just took off and I outrun them. I still had no idea why they were after me. Uh, I know I'd paid for my back club. I don't know what it was. I did have ridiculous hair at the time, so maybe that was it. Um, and I got I got back to the and I was telling my friends about this, and and I'd got my little bag of back again because they'd had something else. I'm like, you got to eat this, got to eat this. And for years, um, subconsciously, I'd been trying to decode that back number. What is it? What is it that I can't quite get when I'm trying to make it now? You know, and it was when I used I, I had an idea for using. Um, scented geraniums, which are different to your kind of regular geraniums in that they, the leaves carry the, you know, a variety of amazing scents and flavours. Um, there's lemon, there's, there's pine, there's hazelnut, there's all sorts of different ones. But the rose scented one is really quite extraordinary and the kind of most uh, widely loved and for lots of good reasons. So I just made a syrup of equal quantity sugar and water, added the leaves. When they'd infused, you end up with this incredible rose scented syrup that I poured over the back lever, and it was like, wallop, there it is, 1988, on the nose, being chased through the streets of Istanbul for no apparent reason, unless it was my hair, uh, uh, and and never quite finding out why, because you did not want to ask a question, why are you running after me aggressively? Um, but I got it, in the end, I got it, that's what it was, rose-centred geranium, whether that was what was used or something similar, I don't know, but it took me right back there, you know, in that way that scent and taste can do and a way other things can't.
0: Absolutely right. Rose-centred geraniums definitely going in my Mark Diacono garden. Maybe the lemon verbena too, because in your fourth food moment, you are seriously making your kitchen ex- so exotic, aren't you? I mean, you it's local seasonal for you it's just whatever you fancy whatever you can grow you're you're making your own limoncello out of your homegrown lemon verbena
2: yeah i mean if, if you if you may, if you really forced me to and said right what's your desert island herb i would say it's lemon verbena and it's not available really widely in the shops or anything like that you can sometimes find it dried but it's a it's glorious um it's a perennial herb so it will grow year after year but it loses all its leaves through winter. But the leaves are kind of long and quite dry and you rub them and the scent is sherbet lemons. You know, it's everything that lemon balm isn't. It's bright, it's zingy, it's full of woohoo. You know, it's really kind of lovely. It's just incredible. And you, you find, I find myself, I think anyone who grows it, you find, why am I going to use this? How am I going to use it? And one of the ways of using it is to kind of, if you're making a cake is to butter the cake tin and line the outside of that with, or the inside of it with, um, lemon for bean leaves then pour in the cake batter and then the flavor infuses into the batter as it cooks but you can make syrups with it and do different things um like the, the 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 rose geranium one like the fig syrup but really i would say my number one use for it is in making limoncello and i think if any of us have been to i don't know any of the mediterranean countries
0: Oh, take me to Cinque Terre. Oh, I want you. No. I want you to take me right now to the frogs croaking in Cinque Terre, Cinque Terre. by the sunset.
2: I have a friend who lives um, lives on that Cinque Terre coast. So it's it's kind of oh. where Liguria kind of bends down, and as Italy kind of takes a turn to the south, the most extraordinary coast, the best um, focaccia you'll ever have. And um, I spent I don't know maybe a week there years ago, and we. Um, we did a lot of walking along that coast, which is kind of up and down, and the most glorious seas, the astonishing... You know, you've probably seen all of the kind of multicoloured houses that cling to the yeah. cliffs and all of those, you know, Portofinos yeah. and all of we those. We took
0: the train across from, from each of mm. the little towns. It was absolutely heavenly. It, it really is. It
2: doesn't wear off, does it?
0: No, no, it's absolutely beautiful, timeless. Mm. Um. So this is where you first had the, the limoncello to end all ch-
2: limoncello. It was just extraordinary, you know, and and you know, and, and it was this string you going, Oh my God, this is, I could drink this all day in the sun and feel snoozy and kind of doze merrily and then kind of wake up again and have another one. And, and life is good. And then I came back home and I'm like, Hey, well, we've got to try lemon limoncello, everyone, you know, tell the world, limoncello, it's the limoncello revolution. And I went and bought some limoncello and I pour it out and you drink it. And it's like, Oh, this is toilet cleaner. This is, this is everything that that wasn't. Uh and, 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 that was you know trying to recreate that as well, and I finally did it, and it what it needed was the z- the zing of of lemon verbena, so again it's really simple you know using uh, you can use gin, but I think using vodka is good because it's a clean kind of alcohol base um you know it's got it's got lemon zest it's got uh lemon grass, and then lemon verbena and that with a little bit of um, sugar syrup in there is just extraordinary because it's all bright but what you what you've got is lemon zest lemon verbena and lemongrass all singing the same note but different instruments different there it is in a different pitch and it's just the best thing because it's high low middle rounded, bright, it takes you straight off to the med and it's the easiest thing to make at home Um, and if you've got lemon verbena growing and it which is the easiest plant ever to grow then you've got your own homegrown limoncello in no time and it's just one of those life shifters that's just so very good.
0: Lemon balm, what's your problem with lemon balm Mark? Oh man, lemon balm,
2: I think the entry in the book for lemon balm is something like if you're expecting to see lemon balm here, no and (laughs) I can just, it's just, it, there's, there's lots to recommend it in the garden. You know, it covers the ground really nicely. It keeps all the weeds out. It brings in pollinating insects. Uh, it flowers really early. It grows really quickly. All of those things are amazing positives. But as soon as it makes the step across your threshold into the kitchen, there is literally nothing to recommend. It's lemon balm is for people who don't like themselves. Get lemon <laughs> bean. There's nothing that I want to, I've tried everything. If, okay, let, let me caveat this. There is one last thing. Every time I say a oh, lemon balm, I'm not going to use it again. It's like having a bad back. People go, boy, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And in the end, they make you hate it even more. But somebody did say to me, use the earliest growth that comes through next year, which is now now, um, in the next month or so, um, use the earliest growth, chop it up and just throw some, not too much, but throw some into a potato salad. It's extraordinary because it has a bit of lemon brightness, but it's got this kind of earthy mehness that I think I liken to a kind of jumble sale uh, soup. And that is the last time I'm trying lemon balm Unless it's incredible, after that it will never pass my lips again. If it's not that good, it ain't getting in. So you, I've, I've, I have done some quality control. It's not just get everything in that anyone's head of proper quality control. That's what we need. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Food FM, the online radio station and global podcast platform which aims to change the world through food. And please get in touch on social media. I'm at Cooking the Books with Jilly Smith on Instagram and at Jilly Smith on Twitter and chillysmith.com for all the information about the Cooking the Books Supper Club at my house. I'll be back next week to discuss Mandy Yin's shortlisted book, Sambal Shiok, with non food author Sharon Wee.